Like... Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back. Over the Bridge podcast, season forever. We're not, I don't even know if this is season four, but season forever. Um, Why is it called season forever again? Just because we're trying to put out the content each and every week. And it's just a continuation no now. No break, no break. <laughs> we might do a smaller <laughs> international break when we all go traveling and that, but you know. Um, we'll do OTB on tour then. OTB yeah. on tour. OTB yeah, man. ski trip. Got OTB ski. OTB Afro Nation. That could have been you, hey. Patrick. <laughs> that should have been. That should have been you. You'd have loved it. Why me? Why me? Because you speak Portuguese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? How can I like, 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 like you don't I don't know, what's know. Going on. Oh, this guy, man. Uh, <laughs> You're a clown. Uh, yeah, no. So you can already hear who we're joining the building by. But I just go around. Who we? Who do we have? Myself, yeah. Tom, and then yeah, P Money in the building again. Patrick, what's good, everybody? Yo, it's Bilal. I haven't been on this podcast in so long. I feel like I'm a guest, you know. Yeah, Bilal's the guest. Yeah, you've been flying. You've been gallivanting. You've been gallivanting <laughs> everywhere, man. Been everywhere, man. Yeah, but I was I'm actually back. in the last episode, just I never said a word, but yeah. I was in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did open true. my mouth. People were Tension. asking. Him. Like, where's, where's, did, did anyone? Did someone actually say? Yeah, where's yeah. Bilal? Like, it was Bilal on that episode. I was like, he was, but he actually didn't. He came in in the middle. and yeah. didn't say anything. And he just sat in silence. Sometimes it's good to just listen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, man. It's true. Not everyday talk. Not everyday, but yeah, man. We have a. Aside from Bilal being our, our, our special resident guest on the podcast today, wow. we also have... It, bruv, you've been missing for a long time, you know. Wow. Um, we have a, a, a an actual... I'm sure you're not allowed to introduce them. <laughs> yeah, let him land it, man. Let, let me land in it, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as good at this stuff as Bilal, but I'm trying still to get me to, to do this. But we have a very a, a special guest um, here on the podcast for the very first time. Um, we know him, but he's doing some, some wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself and we'll just talk about life and what he's doing and we'll just take it on from there. So over to you, sir. Introduce yourself. Tell the people them what you're doing, where you came from, all of that stuff. And then we'll just take it off from there. Thank you, Tom. Uh, so yeah, it's Solomon. Um, Solomon Elliott and I am the founder and chief executive of a charity called The Student View. Um, I went to Cambridge with all of these guys. They were my similar age group. Um, I've been close ever since. Uh, we create newsrooms in schools across the UK. Before that, I did the Teach First program and was working in South London, Gypsy Hill, um, and West Dulwich, a school called Kingsdale. You might so have some of your language. pupils listening in, you know. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially, Mr. Elliot. Mr. Elliot. Yeah, Mr. Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. They know yeah. your first name now, isn't it? Yeah, they do. They do. But I told them quite early on. So oh, that's cool. yeah. Oh, you were that teacher? Well, I look like the same age as them, so... <laughs> you have got a bit of a baby really face. Yeah, yeah. I've got a yeah, beard on now, but... Yeah. How, when was the last time you even got ID'd? Because you got a baby face. Bro. Last week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Life is treating my man well, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know yeah. Don't lie, you were trying to buy paracetamol. Not at all, not at all. G&T, yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> no stress, no wrinkles, no nothing, no great hairs. That's what we like to see. That is what we like to see, you know. So how, how I mean... First, I mean, I, I, I want to... Because, I mean, so which, which college did you go to? I went to Homerton, same as Tom. Yeah. So before we get into student view, I just I just want to just talk about how we actually met. Because um, it wasn't through you that we met. It was actually by your mum and it's our auntie in it. So what? do you remember the story? Yeah, yeah, this is actually a mad story. Do you Why know, do you do know you everyone's mum, man? No, <laughs> I, I met, no, it's true. Actually, I know mom. your mum's in it. I know your mum's. <laughs> so do you want to tell the story? Shall I tell the story before we get into, into life and all the things? Well, yes, we're all kind of black rom-coms starting Nando's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And uh, yeah, Tom, you can take it away. Yes, I was, I was in, I was in Nando's. <laughs> Which one in Cambridge? Yeah, the, in not, not not in Cambridge. In Cambridge, okay. not not the one by Downing, the other one closer to Homerton. Okay, so the one yeah, where yeah. you know they got that, the big uh, one, the yeah, big the one. cinema and all of that. Yep, I was having Nando's with a friend, and then I see Soul with someone who obviously was either a mum or an auntie in it. Like you just you could just tell. No, you could just tell in it. It was a mum or auntie in it. He's got a good eye for these things, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, uh, he really does. Uh, but hey, you might need to. Hey, he hey, really hey, 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 so so, and then obviously now. Uh, his his mum was looking at me like, and, and she smiled and I sort of smiled and said, oh, and then she come up to speak to me, innit? Like, for all, like, this is energy here, innit? Like, hello. I was like, ah, oh, auntie, all right. Obviously, just, you get me, I don't know her, but auntie's auntie, innit? I was like, ah, oh, hello, auntie. Ah, oh, oh, son, do you go to um, Homerton? I said, like, yeah, I go, auntie. Oh, my son, he goes to Homerton as well. Have you seen him? Yeah, I've seen him. Oh, look after my son, innit? Look after my son. I said, oh, auntie, I promise I'll look after your son. Right. Anyway, after that, I didn't speak to my man for, exactly. for months. Months. Like, wow. Because I was just... I was cold just, shoulder. No, not cold shoulder. No, no. Nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. I just didn't see you about, innit? Like, I, didn't, I didn't see you about because I know you're playing football all of them things yeah. there. So I didn't see him about. And one, one day, this guy just comes to hop me up, innit? He's like, hey, 
You told my mum, you even promised my mum, yeah. <laughs> you promised my mum, yeah, that you were gonna look after me, innit? And and you haven't even done that. You know you've spoken to me, wow. right? right, right. Absolutely. You said you're gonna be like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't you know? stuck it on me. No, he stuck it on me. He stuck it on me proper. No, maybe I just did my own story, but yeah, exactly. he, he stuck it on me, like, and then yeah, and I was like, all right, cool. And then that, that, that was it. And I've 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 basically looked after him ever since. Not that looking after is the right way to put it, but I've just, yeah, me. I want to hear Soul's side. Yeah, yeah. what's your side, innit? You let me tell the yeah, story. Yeah, what's the your, location? This is yeah, absent father story. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, nah, nonsense, nonsense, man. Location was accurate, that's confirmed. But, um, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> pretty much, but we bonded over a Logan Summer freestyle. You did, actually. With Skeppy Kane and Gets. That's right, we yes. back to back. Oh, Skeppy's is the best on that. No, Gets is the best in the step, lad. And actually, Kano was to be fair, let's be real, innit? Yeah, but, at you that know, point. At that point, yeah. so yeah, we bonded over that, and then you just bonded ever since. Yeah, ever since man. That's um, cool. so that's that's cool. So where did yeah, you grow up? Mitcham, so southwest, okay. south, south. Yeah, CR four. Not even London, them ones. Okay, yeah, it is London. Oh, see, no, it's not. No, it's not. This is London. Them mad alphabet. So we ain't got Quakey, but we got another out of London. Yeah, we got, we got a CR. We got CR, a CR in it. <laughs> CR baby in it, man. Wait, what? Didn't you? I'm, okay, you grew up in East, but then when you were in Chingfordshire, was that that's e, that's E4, E4 or is that just E4. out? You're lucky, blood. Oh, okay. lucky, no, because you know what I've E4 always day, no, because you know the thing I've always found weird is anything beyond E17, so i.e. Southwood for Chingford. Yeah. I've always seen that just feels. They it feels used distant to, be, to man. They used it? to be Essex, didn't they? Yeah, like, yeah. When they, when Greater London became Greater London in the sixties, yeah. that's when it. Because to me, I'll be honest, it has a very Essex vibe. I'm East, not East London probably to me is obviously like the Tower Hamlets, Newham. Yeah, yeah. Um, how far do we even stretch it? I think anything some beyond... some bits of Wolfham Forest, so like Leighton, yeah, like Leighton and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's well, even where like we are now, right? This is this feels Essexy now. This is more Essex, isn't it? We're embarking. This is IG. This is IG as well. Right now, it? So even this is still kind of. Because it just feels different. Even once you get... You feel the Essex you vibe. Yeah. yeah. Even once you, go past Ilford, once you go past Ilford, once you go past Ilford, I said there's cows. There's yeah. cows here, blood. Yeah. You know, we're, we're actually in contract now, man. But um, yeah. once you get past Ilford and them places, it just was different. But yeah, man. So, grew up in Mitcham and then... Um, Let's all talk, man. Yeah, oh, sorry, man. Sorry. It's cool. Yeah, bro. Biographer over here. Yeah, man. It's fine. Um, chronicling the life story. Yeah, so I grew up in Mitcham. Um... Lived there since I was about three years old. Before that, was living with my mum, my sisters in Wimbledon, um, the council estate there. Um, I managed to buy a house when houses were affordable yeah. in London. Fifty-five k. Say nothing, man. Yeah, deposit oh, now. God. Cool. Mm, say yeah. nothing, man. <laughs> and um, yeah, just went to school in Wimbledon as well. Um, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to a school called King's College Wimbledon. Okay. Um, which is one of the best schools in the country. It's private school. Um, and not the education that many kids in Mitcham get. Mm. So from a really early age, I knew I was super lucky. Um, managed to get into Cambridge. After that, wanted to give back, go back into the community, teach, work out how the education system mm. works, um, and really just learn for myself how I got into the position, position I did. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I had the idea of Student View quite early on. Yeah. It was about three months into graduating, so I was still 21. Um, and I had this people who... Didn't like English that much. Wasn't a fan of me. Um, and I was thinking, how could I get that kid activated? How could I get him engaged in the classroom? Mm. Um, he'd really performed poorly in his uh, GCSE mock in year 10. And I thought, okay, I wasn't the biggest fan of reading novels when I was at school either. I was kind of a facts guy, obsessed with football, um, all of that kind of stuff. So, But I really enjoyed current affairs. So I said, go and read the Metro because you can pick it up anywhere. Mm. And that will... Um, bring to the forefront interesting language techniques, uh, pithy ways to tell stories, etc. And I said, go and read Complex Magazine because he said he loves rap and basketball. Mm. Um, and then his mum came back to me a couple of weeks after and said, this was simple and stereotypical, which I understood because mm. he's an African-Caribbean boy growing up in South London and his teacher said, go and read Complex Magazine. Um, but the issue was he wasn't reading at all. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, we need to try and create a pathway that kids, particularly with low literacy levels um, from low-income backgrounds, have the chance to develop their literacy skills mm. um, and feel they have a voice. Yeah, and something relatable as well. Exactly. Because the, the stereotypical, like, <coughs> obviously, parents care about their, their their children's, you know, education upbringing. Yeah. But it's like, if you say that, then, you know, like, what is your alternative? Like, for him to not read anything then? Like, if he's not going to get into something that he can relate to, What's your alternative? What to go and exactly? Not. So anyway, but, but as a parent, you could be in denial, right? Yeah, um, yeah. which parents obviously are. It's your, it's yeah. your kid, so you think they're the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if a teacher might say otherwise. Mm. Um, 
so I, th- I had to think of a really clever way to um, activate these kids and get them interested in the things that they really enjoy mm-hmm. so they could develop their literacy skills but via stealth yeah. so that's what Student View was cool. it wasn't where it is now which I'll explain in a bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay well, and for you like did you have a kind of like what was the thing that kept you engaged in school because you did well in school you said you didn't really like reading novels and you were more interested in football. Was it something that you felt that you lacked at school as well or like having some sort of like outlet for the things that you were interested in that weren't being addressed in the classroom? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's an issue of curriculum. Yeah. Curriculums. Um, <clears throat> they don't really cater for people from inner city, multicultural contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the frustration I felt. Um, when I was a teacher, because mm-hmm. the reading lists for the GCSE curriculum Mate. at the time were just, you know, put back into the Stone Age. Yeah, I so I remember the only thing that was like vaguely relatable was that um, that poem by John Agard, half cast. What do you mean every, when you say ah? Everybody used to rinse that off in school because it was just like I met him, you know. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, did you never, you never no, did that? Yeah, it was, that one, it was the yeah, yeah. poetry anthology. Yeah. yeah, I think it was like AQA, but yeah, it's like the, AQA. The only thing that was like, I did OCR still. Oh, soon. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I taught OCR. OCR, man, then. Shout out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, mum was mum was rapping AQA, so obviously my anthology, Caroline Duffy and them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah Caroline yeah, Duffy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, that was like the only thing that was like vaguely relatable to me as like a West Indian. And John Agard is not even he's from I think he's from Guyana, isn't yeah, it? Guyana, so, yeah. So his like even his pato is a bit like different to me. But the only thing I could cling on to, like the only <laughs> vaguely relevant thing in the whole of that that whole of that anthology. But yeah, we weren't sport for choice at all. Man. Absolutely, um, and it was. Dire when I was a teacher mm-hmm. um, And you have to think about The rapidly changing demographic um, Of this country mm-hmm. And the school children mm-hmm. uh, Population yeah. um, It's incredibly diverse mm-hmm. um, But if you're, if you're not educated Or you're not exposed to culture That um, reflects you Then mm-hmm. essentially it generates Isolation yeah. um, And alienation And you don't build a cohesive society If you educate people that way yeah, um, agree. Because we, we were talking about this on a previous episode that we did recently about how the political class in this country is like fundamentally disconnected from young people yeah. um, and disconnected from black people. And then when you put both together, young black people, it's like they're speaking two different languages. And it's like, yeah, you create this this environment where the people that live in this country, they don't really feel connected or invested in, you know, the future, their future, but also their future is part of the future of the country because it's just like this kind of like these people don't get me, I don't get them, mm-hmm. so I'm just gonna stay here and just you know, absolutely, and that's where so many amazing forms of music, in particular lyricism, comes out of that frustration. Yeah. So what I find fascinating is with the rise of grime, East London is here. Uh, the likes of Rapid, when he set up Rough Squad, mm-hmm. he uses EMA money to buy a laptop to then use FL Studio to then Damn. create. Yeah, 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 all of those that yeah. Havana instrumental and all of those kinds of things. So if mm. you're not giving people the space to express themselves, mm. they'll find alternatives. Yeah. But the issue with that sound and our music, which I love to, to death, mm. is that the powers that be, um, saying that in quotation marks, don't really listen to it because mm. it's something that's seen as juvenile or childish. Mm. Um, that's not really going to move the dial. So yeah. I thought, how could I help? shape the public conversation, getting the same communities and empowering them, but using a really powerful lobbying tool to get their voices heard and uh, transform the communities they live in. And it was journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just straight up. Mm-hmm. That is the watchdog for uh, civil society. Mm-hmm. And if you take those tools and you give them to citizens and encourage them to be citizen journalists yeah. or witness journalists, mm-hmm. democracy benefits for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask about that. So journalism itself, right, um, is dominated by the voices that are not the voices that are represented in this room. They're not the voices that I'm assuming of the people that you're normally working with, right, your students. Um, is that something that that young people are, that you come into contact are aware of in terms of they don't see themselves represented by current like mainstream journalism? Yeah, absolutely. So a study by City uh, University found that 94% of British journalism is white. Um, and Really? Yeah. Well, as in 100%. like the writers, as in the current journalists? British journalists. So that's that headline in The Guardian. Um, 
So the reports there, it was a study of hundreds of journalists, um, not in the thousands. Um, and that was a really troubling snapshot of the state mm. of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are aware of it. Yesterday I was in Birmingham in Perry Bar um, with the editor of Five News mm-hmm. who kindly came to meet our journalists and hear what they had to say. Yep. Um, and we were exploring different news formats. And one of the things that they quite clearly noticed was that they weren't reflected. This is a school predominantly of Somali and um, Pakistani mm. Boys and girls And of course You don't see that every day On uh, On news channels at all mm-hmm. um, But sometimes The scary thing And upsetting thing Is that it's quite a Passive consumption Of that reality Yeah So if you can't see it You can't be it mm-hmm. um, And you know When you have critics Of diversity and inclusion They say Oh no it's fine I never saw uh, Somebody like me But I still decided To go and do it You mm. can just be like me That's That's just that. Doesn't wash it. Yeah, that's like a, you know, like the anomaly story. Exactly, the exception to the rule. Mm. Um, And it's really important that people, because I do feel like I have been an exception to the rule and I'm very lucky, Mm. need to go and give back Mm. um, and really make the difference. If you understand how both sides of society work, then you need to work to try and uh, bring them together. Mm. Mm. So if you're working, right, with kids, like like you said, so your starting story of the the guy who doesn't even read. Yeah. Um, Like I'm assuming that a lot of the young people you come in contact with have really low and poor literacy skills and levels. So you're taking them from that through to actually creating their own narratives and writing their own yeah. stuff. What kind of stuff are they writing about? It's fascinating, really. So just to add a bit more context, so it's shifted from five reasons why Kanye West is the worst musician in the world, <laughs> kind of clickbait <laughs> stuff, mm. to training these teenagers as local news reporters. Yeah. So they are literally freedom okay. of infrared freedom of information, mm. requesting the police, uh, other local authorities to get statistics and work out what is going on in their communities. That's great, so they are local news reporters. Yeah, that's sick. What's awesome now is that we've partnered up with local newspapers themselves. So they are then publishing the content of the young people who do our program. So over the last two weeks, we've had articles published in Oldham and in Bradford. Wow. Um, and we're working on it in other parts of the country as well. Mm. Um Add a bit more to your question for me, please, bro. What, what was? Yeah. So, in terms of, so how do we take them on the narrative? How do? You, yeah. How do? You, what is that journey like for a young person? Yeah, well, it's exciting. They're not in lessons, which is good mm. for a start. <laughs> mm. But does it does it mean that you take them out of school or anything like that? Or so is... yeah, it's it's in the school. Okay. Um, it's a twelve hour program. Takes place over three visits. Um, the way we activate them is it's a bottom up way of learning. It's project based learning. Mm-hmm. It's not here's the test. If you don't get this right, you're a failure, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's have a go at what you want to do. Let's have a talk. We call it news talks. Um, what happens is it's a roundtable essentially mm-hmm. of our facilitator and our school children, and they have a discussion about what's going on in their local community. So, for instance, in Bradford, a big problem was that they had kind of Need for Speed drag racer young guys who were taking out a form of insurance, which meant that they were just you know driving like lunatics in the local area, and the kids said this was a massive problem. The local media had no idea about it. And we found that there'd been close to 400 police chases, police car chases in a year in Bradford. Mad. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah, and local news agencies, they didn't know anything about so that. So the, the kids were like, what? it's nuts. This is what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then we FOI'd the police. We got the numbers back. And then we helped the kids to formulate their article, etc. Copy edited it, all that mm. stuff. Mm. Then we said to the local paper, here you go. Here are five articles. This is what's going on in Bradford. Are you aware of this? And they said, we had absolutely no idea. We had no idea to FOI police car chasers. Mm. So they published it, literally. Bradford's actually mad. I've never been to Bradford, but I'm I'm, I'm assuming the people that work for the local news, they are probably disconnected from the communities where these car chases were going on? The issue is local news is just on its feet. So Mm. their funding model, model still is, for the most part, advertising. Right. Um, but due to the rise of digital disruption, yeah. Facebook ads, Google ads, they've lost a lot of that income. Mm-hmm. Um, so it means that they've just shrunk in size. Um, they've lost members of staff, etc. Mm. And you've got a one, one reporter covering a number of issues, which means that they can't get out yeah, to all yeah. of these spaces and they can't cover all of these stories. Yeah. Do you, so, do you think that print is a a dying um? Form of media because I read to it. I don't know if it's called the Johnston Press or something. They yeah, like, JPR Media. They were like brand new. They're like really distressed or something. Like their bonds are like 
Like really, this is showing not close to bankruptcy, but kind of like showing signs of distress here and trying to get some kind of debt relief or something. And it's just because basically print just seems to be dying apparently. So but from what you see and what you hear and people you talk to, do you think that's the, the case or, or not really? Local journalism is in real trouble, big time. Um, and there are a couple of interesting interventions that are trying to, you know, revive what, what's been lost. So the Bureau Local, for instance, trains citizens as uh, fact gatherers, data observers, all of that kind of thing. Um, and then the local news stories in whatever area they're in in the country, it's all over the country, then gets published in local newspapers and national press. Um, and then we're doing a similar thing, but with young people, because young people, if we're being honest, have never really been involved in the conversation. Um, it's the kind of thing, you know, children should be seen um, and not heard. Um, and that's just been a, you know, a truth that's existed for a long period of time. So that's that's pretty much what we're trying to do. But yeah, local local journalism is, is in big trouble. And there, you know, there've been some interesting small projects that have tried to uh, fight against that change. So with that, do you, so you do a lot of a lot of your work with young people's local journalism stuff. Does any of it, is there like scope for things to be done more nationally or is that? Yeah, so that's what we're working on yeah. now. I won't give you any more detail. But <laughs> <laughs> exclusive. Yeah. Um, we're, we're trying to work with broadcasters and mm. um, national uh, publications to essentially extrapolate the local news stories that we have. And then, mm. so for instance, the police car chases one, you could look at that all around the country. Yeah. Um, mm. And do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's what we're looking to do. We're not the platform, but what we are is we're, we're the witness journalists, the citizen journalists on the ground shaping the national conversation, but led by children, particularly from uh, challenging backgrounds. And how many, just in total, how many um, schools are you, you working with right now at the moment? So we've got around 40 newsrooms at the moment across the country. Wow. Since we started, we've set up 87. Uh, that's Jeez. since September 2016. I know that sounds like a lot, but it needs to be bigger. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, over a thousand kids have done the program and we recruit journalists as volunteers, professional journalists, some big names. Mm. Um, and we've got around 80 plus on our on our books who volunteer for us. So cool. we've grown quite well, but we're looking to, as you can imagine, scale up. And have any schools actually said they don't want to partake in this or is they generally just the, it's really <laughs> Back in well the received. day, I used to hear some proper dumb stuff. So, for instance, some head teacher said, you know, our kids don't want to be journalists. It's not for wow. them. Wow. Journalists, this was a head teacher. So he had, you know, a thousand kids in his school and he didn't think any of them any, could be journalists. So that wow. was like the most horrific thing to hear. Yeah. Um, there was just no belief in and, the pupils and themselves. Can, well, I, can I ask a further question? Did, did the, uh, the headmaster come from the same community or background as, his, as the kids of the school? He was working class, yeah. Yeah. He's working class. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do, you yeah. Think, do you think it's like a generational thing then that, you know, when he was their age, the opportunity to become a journalist was something that was out of his reach and then maybe we're just speculating. No, education is just a massive trouble. So if you've got government targets and you need to get essentially every kid in, on your role mm -hmm. to be yeah. average, yeah. if you do that, that's success. Yeah. Um, then you're just going to play a percentage game and a numbers game. Right. So you don't, you don't even have the time to entertain these... Special cases. Yeah, unfortunately. Like, yeah, yeah. Special and aspirations. and Exactly. And yeah. because of the lack of funding and the, the cuts in schools, it means that schools, again, like local news, they're on their feet. A lot of our public mm -hmm. services are, are on their knees. And as yeah. a result, people don't really have time to start thinking of grand visions or nice people like me who want to make a difference. They've just got to mm. do their day job and do it properly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for the students that enroll in the program what's ultimately at least in your mind like the end game for them like where is it just that you want to just inspire them to just you know be what they want to be or is it like you know they'll graduate to become one day like a journalist or a reporter or something like that I think if the big aim is to create a generation of critical media consumers and creators because mm. in our parents age when they were at school well there was no internet right Yeah. so mm. <laughs> they're mm. struggling with all of that kind of thing and yeah. finding how to survive online, etc. Mm, mm. um, so that is partly our aim. Mm. Another part is to start creating a pipeline and changing the diversity of the media profession. Right, okay. Um, we haven't had the resources to do that um, at present. We're working on it. Mm. Um, so watch this space, fingers crossed. But mm. we've had kids who off 
having completed the program, have been published in the Financial Times wow. or in Vice magazine. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, we're scouting those amazing talents and then saying, do you know what? You could actually do this. Mm. And you want to cover across the board because you mentioned Vice and Financial Times. Like they're sort of opposite spectrums of the sort of It's just the media in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about like broadcasting as well. Broadcasters, yeah. print, mm. online, absolutely everyone. Yeah. Um, we don't really discriminate because mm. media just has a problem at large and the whole industry needs systemic change. Yeah. Um, there are some organizations that are better at presenting um, that they do diversity better than other, others. But when mm. I go to newsrooms across the country from, you know, the Daily Mail to The Guardian, mm. I don't really see a visible difference if I'm being honest mm. with you. Mm. Um, even, so, at, even at Vice as well To be honest When we went to Vice I was just like Oh scheme Okay <laughs> Oh yeah when we went yeah. yeah You might have you know Freelancers that you get Yeah, to programs, yeah, yeah. But that's not people Who are paid staff and right? Exactly And then freelancers They're waiting months And months for invoices for and, Exactly yeah, yeah man, you're sorry. right. The, People does... pay me, please. <laughs> Bilal is one of those one of those agreed freelancers, by the way. So if you owe Bilal money, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, well, don't be listening. Don't I'm be listening find to that way. You yeah, be. you can't listen to our podcast like this and be supporting and you owe Bilal money. If you listen to this podcast, yeah, and you owe Bilal money, yeah, yeah, fair miss check, please. Yeah, no, thank you. Pause it right now and do that bank transfer. <laughs> oh, thanks for the plug, man. <laughs> so do you do you think that there like in in the way that we spoke about this last time in a when we're talking about the political class, do you think there's like a journalistic class in this country? Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And so, how do you, how do you kind of how do you change the 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 narrative amongst those kind of that class of people? How do you how do you go about doing that? What we do is we take them out of their comfort zones. So we take them out of their newsrooms and we take them to Brixton or Bradford or Blackpool or mm. Moss Side or Withenshaw in South Manchester, we take them to places that they wouldn't necessarily go to. Mm. Um, and sometimes it has the effect of jarring them because they're not aware mm. of just the disgraceful levels of deprivation that we tolerate in our country. Mm. Um, and and I, do, do, you, do you feel, sorry, sorry to cut you off, I just wanted to ask, do you feel like the, um, their ignorance is apathy or like they've almost been told not to talk about these kind of things or they're just, Literally just like naive and they don't know It's really complicated Obviously there are people who are just bad mind and just don't care mm. <laughs> Let's be real, they exist Yeah um, It's true But do you feel like there's a there's a kind of um, a, a mandate from their employers To like kind of like These are the kind of news stories that we want We don't want to talk about things to do with austerity And you know how there's serious deprivation in this country It it depends really It, it depends on the editorial line mm. Um Unfortunately, because advertising drives so much of revenue, yeah. um, you just have to do what pays. Mm. Um, the Evening Standard are a good example of that. That's not representative of London at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's elite London football clubs, properties, and then, you know, Sadiq Khan says something silly and they're hammering him for it. And mm. then mm. Um, it will be, what else will it be? Uh, some kind of crime story that mm -hmm. um, really shatters... Um, the self-esteem of, of Londoners every day when they go home and they pick it up on the tube. Yeah. So it's, it's it, very same, isn't it? Yeah. It's, like, it's the same kind of. It's just a product. Yeah. It's a product, and they've worked out what the formula is, and they have a bottom line mm. that they need to address, and then that's it. It's just business. Mm. Um, and it's really important that you try and create community-based platforms that speak to audiences, well, like this podcast, for instance. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah. Okay. You guys, are, you do, you are in positions of influence, etc., because you've been lucky enough to go to Cambridge. Mm. Um, but. You know, it's up to people like us to mm. who've you know taken it to the next level to open up and take up more space. Yeah, can I ask you something that's just literally totally irrelevant to Go what on. you were saying? But it was just crossed my mind whilst we talk about this, right? Because obviously, in my years of work with young people, young people have so many cool stories to tell. Yeah. And like the role of a journalist is essentially to be a community storyteller and tell the narrative of what's happening. But do stories always have to be negative? Like the news is so filled with like negative stories. But they have to say no news is good news, right? But well, like yeah. all, like even in this, we've talked about like, you know, like car chases and crime and, yeah. and stats about deprivation. But, like, does it have to be bad? Yeah. I was, I was going to say that, like, I swear the adage is like, like negative news is what sells. If it know, bleeds, bad. it leads. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Raw. yeah. That's I've never that. heard that one before. Yeah, still, neither, yeah. Kind of I think they they said it in the you know the film Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is a good film to watch actually for this kind of thing because it's like again it kind of feeds back into this uh, kind of product kind of um, uh, method of telling 
news stories. It's like, yeah, we need to have this shoot out on because it's set in LA and whatever. Mm. But um, yeah, so that was just no, it's cool. No, hundred percent. So it doesn't always have to be negative. So when I, mm. funnily enough, started student view, I was like, yeah, am I gonna change the narrative because we're gonna have positivity driving our news stories? It's gonna be solutions focused. So mm. there's this whole movement called solutions journalism right. um, that essentially what the driving editorial force is, what's been the solution, mm. not this awful thing happened. It's what actually went on to try and solve it or make it better or to learn from a mistake again. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of publications. The Guardian have a newsletter called Upside that focuses exclusively on good news stories. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it's really interesting because young people in particular are so disengaged and frustrated with news um, they were telling Kate Fitzsimons, the editor of Five News yesterday, mm -hmm. that, yeah, it's just, it's super negative all yeah, the time. Yeah. And that's just not good for your mental health. No, mm. it's not. And it's not good for the mental health of journalists as mm. well, who are just constantly focusing on chaos and crisis. Mm. Um, and that has a really detrimental effect on them Because it fuels this idea, right? Like, like, it fuels this idea that the world is terrible. And obviously the world is bad, right? The world is not a perfect place. But as I'm like walking through the world, not everything of my experience is like terrible. Mm. Absolutely. But when I, if I was to turn the news on, it just make me feel that anxious about the world. And there's this big issue of infotainment. So there are some broadcasters, particularly American ones, that just focus on this crisis, um, kind of clash of ideas, civilization, civilizational battles, mm. um, <clears throat> at the expense of kind of dry, grey, sober expert opinion. Mm. Um, and it's just become an entertainment show. Mm. Uh, it's kind of the Netflix of news. I won't start saying names, but you just watch. You know, no, but yeah, man. it's fairly do you, obvious. Do what you they think are. Like, so even <laughs> even when you watch, um, like in in when you watch like US broadcaster talk about politics, mm. you read, you'll watch Fox or MSNBC, CNN, and maybe something else, right? And they'll talk about the same story. And they've all polarized it just mm -hmm. to one side or the other side. Yeah. Whereas I get less of that impression here in the UK when I read UK prints. I still see it. Um, it's not as extreme. But it doesn't feel as extreme. So if I read um, the Mail and the Sun, apart from if they're talking about things from Liverpool and what have you, and yeah. they're talking about like actual political things, they'll still try and spin it that way. So you read... The Telegraph, or you read the Times, or you read the Guardian, you see a kind of spin, but it doesn't feel as bad. Why do you think there's that kind of difference between? And I know we've got so far from talking about TSP, but why? It's fine. Why? Why do you think there's this difference between the publications we see in the US, even prints? If I read like the Washington Post versus the New York Times, why is that different to the way we see stories reported here from you know Times, Guardian, whatever? Why do you think there is that difference? I think it's it's a bit more complex than that because you've kind of drawn a comparison between print publications and broadcasters. But if we were comparing, for instance, CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and we compared it to the BBC, ITV News, Channel 4 News, Channel 5 News, it's fairly obvious if you watch them all, they're very different. Um, I think it has to do with culture. Uh, America is a hyper uh, entertainment fueled society mm. um, and they enjoy it. Mm. And for some reason, that culture has been... I think incorrectly imported into the way that news is presented and transmitted. Mm. And that's been detrimental to their politics um, because it means that you have these soundbite, clickbait infused conversations, which means that you never actually talk about facts. Yeah. Can I just say something mm. also? I think, Tom, to sort of answer your point, I think the way that British journalism covers things is in a much more subtle way. So they will present kind of quite um, extreme views or cover news in a really kind of uh, uh, amateurish way, but present it in such a way as Brits tend to do that you won't even realise that it, unless you properly read into it. Like, yeah, for example, yeah. like with um, Good Morning, um, is it Good Morning TV with Piers Morgan? Good Morning like, Britain, yeah, yeah. Good Morning Britain, that's it, sorry. Like, they will invite people onto that show to talk about very serious topics, but the the, the people have no, um, no, no real credence. Like, they're not an expert on this. Or they'll um, put out a poll, which is like, um, something that's quite inflammatory, like quite an inflammatory question that really there are statistics to kind of answer those questions. For example, let's talk about like knife crime. Um, is the answer to knife crime hard, 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 more hardline policing? That's not the kind of thing that, you know, you just put out to a poll of people that watch daytime television. Do you know what I mean? Or morning TV. Mm -hmm. There is statistics and there are studies that actually answer that question before you even need to do that. So I think, there, there are like a lot of kind of um, extreme views or 
um, amateurish journalism that 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 takes on this guise of looking professional. Yeah, yeah. But they also do it because it's incensed you and infuriated you so much. Yeah, that you're talking about it with so much yeah. passion now. No, yeah. it's true. But so even in that, I wanted, yeah. go on. with yeah. that in mind, I wanted to ask: what makes good journalism in your perspective? Well, it just needs to be grounded in fact, objective, and you need to tell the truth. But if it gets it. people talking, surely that's good journalism. No, not necessarily. It depends if you're trying to um, generate discord and disharmony in society. Mm. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. And mm-hmm. that's yeah, why impartiality, um, although it's contested and it's always up for debate, um, is super important. So I'm, your... I'm reminded of a, a story, actually. I was watching a... When I when I was on a long haul flight, I can't remember where, but I was um, all right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but now you've traveled more than I have this ten year. Neither Bill or Tom can speak at this moment, man. Now I've flown more than I steps. have. On the way here, Tom said, "I've been to every continent except the Arctic." Wow, wow. Antarctica. Sorry. This year, isn't it? This year, this year. year. We thank God. We thank God. We give. God when did you go to South America? Oh, you're going. I'm going. Brazil. Brazil. Hey, no, but I was, I was, I was on, um, I can't remember where I was going, but I was watching, uh, no, I was listening to a podcast about um, Hillsborough and about what happened mm. with the Liverpool football players. And what actually happened was, we all know the scandal and we all know kind of why people in Liverpool don't read the sun. A lot of people don't know the scandal. Okay, but what happened was, um, I think it was Kelvin McKenzie who was editor of the sun at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said some, he said some awful things. He basically was one of the first people to put out in print that it was basically the fans' um, fault for the... the yeah, yeah, the, the fans' result. fault and that they were drunk and stuff. And actually what happened was he had a conversation um, with King Kenny, Kenny Dalglish, who's obviously a Liverpool legend. Mm. And Kenny said, Kelvin, you know this isn't true. Can you just take it back? He said, no, I can't, I can't do that. I need to sell my newspapers at the time or mm. something along those lines, mm. which tells you sometimes how sensationalist, um, the extent to how sensationalist people will actually be. So actually, I came across something the other day that um, Benjamin Zephaniah was supposed to be a, not a Donny, was supposed to have a, a, a some kind of tutorship up at Trinity College in Cambridge. Yeah. And Kelvin McKenzie, and Kelvin McKenzie in The Guardian said, would you let this black man um, be you know a teacher in and one of our most prestigious institutions. Actually, I don't was, think that was that's true. What? I don't think it was at the Guardian though. It was no, it was at the, the Sun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. not not yeah. the Guardian. No, yeah, Kelvin. Has he ever yeah. been at the Guardian? You said, you said no, the, the Guardian. Sun. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Kelvin McKenzie at the Sun. Right, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Man's encouraging his own good journalism. No, so this was at the Sun both times. So right. this is yeah. Um, it's shocking. I've seen it. It's absolutely yeah, disgraceful. Yeah. I didn't even know this. Yeah, wow. Check it out on Google. You'll find it. Yeah, old old. I actually remember seeing this, but not really. So this is is this. Is this a recent thing? No, well, no, this is old. This is oh, so Hillsborough okay. things in the eighties and no, 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 I know Hillsborough, Benjamin but I'm talking about yeah, yeah, okay, old school as well. And yeah. the same, it's even we've got um, what else do we have? We have uh, Harry and Meghan. They're suing various newspapers about yeah, as well yeah, now. And yeah. Harry's basically said, "Listen, I've seen what's happened to my mum. Rest in peace. You know, whatever you think about Royals and that, but still, rest in peace." Diana. Imagine getting sued by the Royals. Like, what, but the thing is, I don't, I, I don't think it's anything new to have sort of sensationalist stories about the royal family. But like the the the, the thinly veiled racism is so thinly veiled that it's like at this point, it's like okay, this is going beyond mm. it being a sensationalist story about the royal family. Mm. Like you're literally taking shots at Meghan Markle because mm. she and like she's the most palatable black that you can get. Like mm. she's white passive for goodness sake, and like that's how. That's how nuts yeah. it is. Like the vitriol this country has. But um, um, I don't want to get sidetracked too much. I wanted to um, come back to Solomon and just ask. Um, so, you know, you talked about how um, these news outlets, like they, they obviously have the the bottom line in their mind. Um, and then you said that you know, um, good journalism. Like journal- money on my mind. <laughs> right. Yes. Falsetto all yeah, the time. Yeah. Tom no, started doing this. Tell me. He's got, like got money on my mind. Sorry, sorry. He's got to do a full set of Thank you, Nines. Every. Yeah. <laughs> we got Nines. We got Nines. You know what? We should change our outro and just get Tom to sing us up. Just, just, we do one every we episode. Some listeners. Just hey, can, I, can I ask my question? Sorry. We, we can sorry, discuss I'm, this after. I'm sorry, Patrick. <laughs> no, I was going to say so. You said that, um, so Solomon, you, you mentioned that, you know, good journalism um, is about, you know, um, fact checking and telling mm. the truth and trying to inform citizens of, you know, what is really happening. But there's a disconnect there because how is that going to work, especially in this kind of, um, I guess, hyper-capitalist culture that we have now where, you know, money really talks. Like, we're seeing local um, news outlets struggling because, you know, they can't get the the um, 
the advertising that they would like to to pay for what they need to. So how is that going to, how could that work going forward? You know, you want to tell the truth, but then the truth doesn't necessarily sell. It's based on your business model. Mm. So if you're a not-for-profit publication or you're essentially a foundation like The Guardian, yeah. um, they're a foundation. Okay. Um, student Views a charity. Yeah. So we have no advertising. Mm. It's a different type of business model. You yeah. need to have funders and supporters and you always need to keep them on side and always deliver. Which generates pressure. Yeah. Um. So that's 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 the way you can you can do it. Or mm. you have the BBC, for instance, which if you pay a TV license, um, we all contribute to. So that that's the the media we have in our country. Mm. Um, Who pays TV license, by the way? I just want to ask. You. I, I do. do, of course. I yeah. pay. I pay. I don't pay. It's not know. up for discussion. Really? What do you mean you don't pay? <laughs> I, I don't pay, pay at home. license. Huh? You must, your family pay at home, though. No? I'm sure my family do, but yeah, I don't. Exactly. But I don't really watch the BBC anymore anyway. I just no, watch I pay, Netflix. I, I pay TV license though. But. Yeah. I think it's important to have. I've always thought that regardless of my opinions about like, the BBC, I've always thought that kind of it's important to have um, something that we should be able to hold to account as opposed to something which well, we is privately I don't owned. Think, I don't think we can though. Like the BBC moved mad. And... No, but we can still, we, we still as the taxpayer can hold them to account though. Unlike other, I think anyway, Someone, someone, I'm going to let someone land in it, but no, I've, I've always thought it's important to have an organization which we can auto account as taxpayers, mm. which this is what I'm saying. I know if as, as a taxpayer, I can say, what are you doing? Whereas I don't know if I can do that with someone that's a private organization, someone that's somebody that's privately owned. But I don't really, anyway, can, that's, that's probably another discussion. But, um, no, it's fine. I say the key thing is about the BBC though, mm. just disclaimer, I sit on the diversity and inclusion board. Mm. They get it from, you know, the left and the right. Mm. So... Mm. It's very difficult to be able to please people, mm. um, particularly when you're talking about stories that unfortunately we're now in this post-truth age where mm. any fact is up for debate and you can just invent reality. Mm. So that's mm. their work's become even more difficult. Yeah. Um, can I just ask, what, what does it mean to sit on their diversity inclusion? It means to <clears throat> tell their ex- uh, senior executives, the director general, Lord Hall, what they need to do in order to make... So my role specifically focuses on... Uh, Ensuring their program making reflects the diverse communities of Britain, mm-hmm. okay. um, and also ensuring that uh, their workforce um, diversity targets are met. So these are all secret conversations that happen, and there's been a huge storm, obviously, recently mm. um, with what happened with Nagam and Chetty. Yeah, um, but there are conversations going on in the background. It's quite. This is my first experience, certainly, of being. Uh, an enormous organization with 24,000 members of staff. Yeah. And you're seeing one thing on the outside and you're in a conversation on the inside. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's that's been quite difficult. But mm. the right conversations are happening. And yesterday, June Sarpong was Appointed, announced yeah. yeah, as the who sits on the DNI board with me as the BBC's. Big up Auntie Vector. June, in it, man. <laughs> Forest Gate local and that. Yeah. <laughs> Big up Auntie June. Remember when she was doing, you know, when she was doing Channel 4, yeah, blood, yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, it's yeah. so good to get her on this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I'll, I'll ask her. Oscar, yeah, oh, yeah, come, yeah, yeah, that's on, that's on recorded as well. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's 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 very very difficult. But what I when I came and started the student view, I had this kind of conspiracy in my head that yeah, it's run by this Illuminati third eye <laughs> crew of people that actively blocking us out. <laughs> the BBC talking about no, just. No, not at all. Journalism. Journalism. General, the system. (laughs) Everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just not the case. Mm. People are busy. People have got nine to five. You need to open your pineal gland, bro. Joking, man. People have to Dr. Sevi, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Open that third eye. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You meant a clown on the back. Serious conversation. Serious chat. Serious chat. Nah, it's cool. This is good. Um, What was I saying now? Yeah, people are busy. People have got nine to fives. They've just got a job to do. Mm. Um, And if you're working in an organization with thousands of people, there are going to be mistakes. And yeah, nah, organization, but the, 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 my, my thing with that though, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, there are a lot of organizations um, that are basically privately run yeah. entities or ultimately family owned entities. Um, and so I wonder if those organizations are even up for having certain important discussions. That's the thing. So kind of, and even, it's not, it's not even to do with print. It's just, if you look at like the entire media space, so like, the family that own Disney or something. Do you know what I mean? Are they going to want to take direction from anybody else? Do you know what I mean? I'm not having a dig. I'm just saying because they're family owned. It's mm. just they kind of have their own, they got their own, you know, they do what they want. Do you know what I mean? I've always felt that, but I've, you know, I think for like kind of more public organizations, fan, you can put them and hold them to account. But that's kind of always been my, my 
not my gripe with journalism as such, but kind of when you kind of look at the, the structures and stuff, you're like, oh, right, is this who owns this and this and this and this and this? And this. that's kind of always been my thing with it. We have so. a massive issue, yeah, with ownership in this country, um, particularly of proprietors of, of newspapers and uh, the like. Um, what was my point? Social media is brilliant now because what it's done is it's opened the conversation mm. and you can yeah, hold yeah. brands and papers to account yeah. Which happens countless times. Yeah. Yes, it's open also space to bad actors and uh, really <laughs> disgraceful voices um, who poison, contaminate and pollute the public conversation. Mm. But on the flip side, if you leverage that power, yeah. you can really make things happen. You just need to be coordinated. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on, I think you have a voice, you need to use it. Who said that? I think Gary, Gary Lineker once said, actually, that he said that he was happy about having... Um, a Twitter account because no one could actually simply just come out and say this and this is this. he now had a voice to yeah. go and say something for the the first time without having to go to an agent or someone else or do whatever do you know what I mean and that's really yeah. changed the game as well yeah so you can you're hold instantly accessible absolutely yeah. it's awful because you know if you're a black footballer for instance in this country the racism you'd experience in the stand now follows you to your mobile phone yeah so that's that's just taken an awful dimension mm. um but on the flip side, you can also be your own press officer. Yeah, that's yeah. Sterling, isn't it, man? Precisely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, just, yeah. Just and you can change up. the narrative that way. Yeah. I'm conscious of time. We've only got like a minute or two left. Mm -hmm. well, um, so what's the dream? Is it is the dream to have like a media publication house, uh, paper, whatever, run by, like owned by, written by, produced by young people? So we've essentially become more of a news agency. Mm. So we, the young people are... Our kids are story scouts. They're on the ground. This is what's going on in Bradford. Hey, journalists, help me with it. Let's FOI the police, then give it to the local paper. Mm. We just want to increase and exponentially scale that. Mm. Um, and our tagline is to create a newsroom in every school. Mm. We call them pop-up newsrooms because they only last for 12 hours. Okay. And that's what we're, we're working towards. We've got good partners in terms of Google, the Financial Times, um, and others. Um, so that that's the, the big kind of grand vision for the student view and our next steps. Mm. And what... For for our listeners, um, what would you say uh, you would like for the biggest takeaway for them after listening mm. to you speak about this interview? What would you reckon that would be? Use your voice. Yeah. In human history, humanity's never had so many tools at their disposal to actually use their voice. Mm. Yes, it's really frustrating. You don't feel you can make a difference, all of that kind of stuff, but you just have to find it within you mm. to mm. use it. Because if you don't, I, re I heard a great quote the other day. It was about politics. What was it? If you don't have a seat at the table, you'll be on the menu. Um, Jeez. <laughs> you really... Wow. Rattled. Yeah. You really need to use your voice. Mm. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's mad. Malala said, didn't it? One child, one book, one pen can change the world. Malala's mm. lit, man. Mm. She's lit. <laughs> She's so small. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you met her before, yeah, innit? Yeah, you've met you her. As you met her, yeah. Where? In San, in the, San in the, Fran? In, no, in her school. In her school, man. And when I used to work at my old organisation, yeah. um, you went we to went to visit the school that she was a student at. Where was that? It's in Birmingham. Birmingham. Yeah, man. My thing. But yeah. Big up Malala. Yeah. Big up, big up the young people, listen. Mm. Big up soul, man. Yeah, yeah. big up. Thank yeah. you for coming in. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, man. Thank you, guys. Long, long overdue, man. Yeah. So where can people stay in touch with you? Plug, plug yourself. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah, I've been, I've been underground for the last three years. I'm, I'm coming out of the cave now. Okay. <laughs> Hibernation. Yeah. Um, not like Bilal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, yeah, in a good so way. Great. No, it's good. Self-promotion. That's what it's about. Yeah. We had this chat the other day. Don't, yeah. Don't hold me <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter. Like Bilal, tweets by Bilal, I'm tweets by Solomon. I was going on. <laughs> got a little brand. <laughs> that's a friend of the guy. No, I'm joking. And um, that's my Twitter name, by the way. Tweets by Solomon. And then you can follow the student view. Right, is that, you the, actually have your own your own Twitter account. Man. I actually didn't know. I'm going to no. follow you right I now. only had to do it because, yeah, I didn't have I didn't it. And know. then the BBC thing was going to get announced. And I was like, right, I need a Twitter. Uh -oh. oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, see. <laughs> I'll put a press release. Oh, it's, it's young. It's, it's new. Are we allowed to it's say fresh. congrats for the thing the other day? What thing? Oh, you what? won an award? Oh yeah, global award. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? <coughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. Calm. <laughs> Why are you so modest? Man? This guy's modest, you know. It's like gas. What do you mean? Imagine all um, so, so what's the award? So we won the Global Youth and News Media Prize. So the Student View has been named the best news literacy project on planet Earth. Jeez, um, I'm mad that is, you know. Yeah, next is, one man. is the galaxy, man. That's yeah. what we're aiming for next. <laughs> it's crazy. So uh, <laughs> lots of amazing, amazing. Um, 
organizations that apply for the award and I'm going to collect it in Paris in November at yeah, a oui, conference oui. called News Exchange. Ah. So, so yeah, from, from your classroom in South London three years later to being the best at what you do in the That's world is so a massive good, endorsement. Well, but yeah, we won't be playing that Jay-Z kind of Because we was in Paris. <laughs> we was in Paris. Oh, man. Well, we so thank you so much. Pleasure, man. Down, Anytime. Man. And, and, and plug the TSV as well. Like Just, yeah. just plug the organization. Yeah, so on Twitter, TSV underscore org. Uh, the studentview.org is the website. On Instagram, just type in the student view and you'll find us there. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. for, for This has been long overdue, man, but it's, cool, it's, man. it's time. It's time that you came and, and shared that to the world. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Um, <laughs> Boys and girls. Boys and girls. <laughs> Let me finish this. Hey, wrap this quick because we've got to do another Yeah, one. yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know where to find us. Um, at OTB Podcast UK. That's our, our handle. Um, Twitter, OT- Instagram. In Twitter, IG. Um, OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. That's our email if you have any comments, requests, etc., etc. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the love, support. Is there anything else I've missed out? I'm not good at doing these intros and outros. Oh, man, you just killed yeah, it, man. You okay. oh, thank you, thank you, thank yeah, yeah. you. You're in training. Oh, God bless you, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, over and out. <laughs>